Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Today's podcast is from a sermon I delivered on the book of Acts. I hope you enjoy. Bibles, open them up to the book of Acts chapter 1. I think it's page 770. I just looked at it and of course I forgot already, so not a good that did me. Acts chapter 1. What would you say if I told you about a husband I knew that never spoke to his wife? You probably would say that they were either getting divorced, already divorced, or certainly don't have a very good marriage. What about a child who never spoke with her father? You'd immediately wonder if they were estranged or if there was something going on. What if I told you I knew a Christian who never prayed? Francis Chan said, if prayer isn't vital for your church, then your church isn't vital. If prayer isn't vital for your church, then your church isn't vital. He says, if you can accomplish your church's mission without daily passionate prayer, then your mission is insufficient and your church is irrelevant. Acts chapter 1, in the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus appears to the disciples for a period of about 40 days, and then he ascends into heaven. He tells the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they receive the Holy Spirit. After they receive the Holy Spirit, they're going to be sent out to all the nations. Acts chapter 1, verse 12 is where we'll begin this morning. It says, the apostles returned to Jerusalem, after Jesus told them to, to stay. He says, they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, the Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. There's 11 of them because Judas, of course, Iscariot, has uh, hung himself after betraying Jesus. Verse, the end of the verse. Then they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. The story goes on in Acts chapter 1. The Holy Spirit falls upon the disciples in that upper room. Uh, They're filled with the Holy Spirit. After that, in chapter 2, Peter goes out and preaches a sermon explaining to all the Jews who are gathered in Jerusalem as to what what has just transpired. Namely, that the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon God's people, as we'll look at next week in more detail. And Peter preaches a sermon, and 3,000 people are saved by that one sermon of Peter. Acts chapter 2, then verse 42, then describes this. After 3,000 people, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, They then devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The fourfold task of the church is defined in Acts 2.42. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Skip over to Acts chapter 7. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. The church continues to grow. Acts 3, 4, and 5, thousands of people are becoming converts. In fact, many of the priests in Jerusalem are are coming into the faith. And the ministry is getting so large. It's so large now that there's there's problems happening at the grassroots level, and and essentially they they were racially motivated within the church. And some other widows were being overlooked for the daily distribution of food. And so they come to the apostles and say, hey, look, we're having a problem. Our widows aren't getting the food. Uh, Their widows are, but our widows aren't. And the apostles say, hey, look, we don't have time to deal with this, so I want you to appoint seven, seven deacons, seven men who can take care of this. Acts 6, verse 5 says, They chose Stephen, a man full of faith under the Holy Spirit. They also chose Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, T- T- Timon, 
Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Prayer and laying on the hands is a, a vital, fundamental element of anointing people for ministry. Acts chapter 10 now. In Acts chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, it tells us that there's a man uh, at Caesarea. Acts 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. A Gentile, a Roman soldier, who's devout and God-fearing, and, and he's praying to God regularly. Well, he continues on in Acts 10 that says that while he was praying, God told him to send to Joppa for a man named Peter to come. Now, of course, that's all fine and dandy, so, so uh, uh, um, uh, Cornelius sends his men, hey, go down to Joppa and tell Peter that he needs to come here. There's going to be a problem, however, and that's this. Peter's Jewish. And a Jew is not going to go into a Gentile's home. Not going to do it. Now, even though Jesus has already said, oh, this is okay, Peter, go ahead and don't worry about it, Peter's not going to do it. So later on in chapter 10, Peter is praying himself in Joppa. And while he's laying on the roof in the afternoon sun praying, he falls into a trance and then God appears to him in a dream and says, Peter, I'm sending some guys to come get you and I want you to do what I tell you. Peter wakes up from the dream and all of a sudden he hears a knock at the door downstairs. And he's like, I probably ought to go do this, I suppose. So Peter goes to Caesarea. And here's what he says in Acts chapter 10, verse 29. Acts 10, verse 29. Peter says, so when I was sent for, as he's explaining this in Cornelius' house, I, when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Now, can I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius said, well, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour, and at three in the afternoon, and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Verse 32, send the Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the, the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And Peter goes on to preach to Cornelius and all the Gentiles who were gathered there, and they all become Christians, and they all get saved. Acts chapter 12 tells the man named Herod Agrippa. Herod Agrippa is one of the ruling governors in, in, in this area, uh, and he found out that it had pleased the Jews when he arrested Peter and James. Not only did it please the Jews when he had Peter and James arrested, but he killed James, the first of the twelve apostles to actually die for the faith. James is killed. And it makes the Jews in Jerusalem happy, because the Christians aren't liked much more, and Peter's in prison. Acts chapter 12, verse 5 says, While Peter was kept in prison, the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Peter is going to be killed the next morning. Agrippa wants the favor of the Jewish people. It's going to be easier to control them when they, ex ex uh, when they receive him and, and, and love him. And so, hey, killing James worked out. Guess what? Peter's tomorrow. And the church was earnestly praying for Peter. Well, the story goes on. Acts 12, an angel of the Lord comes into the prison and lets Peter out of the jail. And they walk past one guard, and they walk past another guard, and they walk past another guard, and he lets them out a side door. And Peter scampers away, and it says in chapter 12, verse 11, Peter came to himself after he got outside the prison. He said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches. 
and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. And Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, let me stop for a second. Here's what's happening. When you come to the door, there's, there, there's, there's going to be a servant person who sits at the door. And when you knock on the door, they say, who is it? And you say, it is I, and maybe your name. It is I, Peter. She hears his name. Now they're inside the house praying for Peter, knowing he's going to be killed tomorrow. And Peter's at the door. And now look what happens. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed, and she ran back without opening it and exclaiming, Peter's at the door. You're out of their mi your mind, they said to her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James, this is James, the brother of Jesus now, because James' brother John was killed a couple chapters earlier, or earlier in this chapter. Tell James and the other brothers uh, and, the, uh, and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. I'd find that incredible. They're praying for Peter. An angel lets him out. He knocks on the door like, no, that's not him. I mean, are you believing in your prayers? No, not at all. Well, maybe it's his angel. It's not Peter, because that would mean that God answered our prayers right now. And Peter, in fear, leaves for another place. Acts chapter 13 describes the beginning of Paul, the Apostle Paul, and his first missionary journeys. The gospel has gone now to Caesarea with Peter and Cornelius, but now the gospel needs to go out to the Roman world. Acts chapter 13, verse 1 begins with this. Now, in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. We're only in chapter 13. We can kind of see a theme, can't we? That the church was a praying community. They were a praying community. And God spoke to and through that praying community. They basically didn't do anything without praying. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, so they're praying. The Holy Spirit comes and Peter preaches a sermon and thousands get saved and they gather together and they devoted themselves to prayer. And Peter's in prison and they're praying. And before they sent off Paul and Barnabas for the first missionary journey, they prayed. And they fasted. And the Holy Spirit spoke to them during the prayer. Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And when the Holy Spirit spoke to them, they got done. They did what? They fasted. And they prayed. And they laid hands on each other. What does this mean for us? Number one, prayer is one of the primary ways we demonstrate our dependence upon God. This is why prayer is so important. Important. Because it reminds us that we are dependent upon God. Think, God does not need you to pray. He knows what you're thinking. He does not need you to utter a word. God knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows everything that happens today, tomorrow, and past tense and future. It's all the present for God. God does not need your prayers. But we need to express our prayers to God. It's we 
who are dependent upon God. Prayer is the beginning of self-denial. We've talked the last couple weeks about the busyness of our culture. The technology has just simply allowed us to do more things. It hasn't allowed us to do the things that we do better and faster and therefore have more leisure. We just do more things. And as soon as we stop in prayer, we're saying, God, you know, i got a lot of things to do. But Lord, I need you, as we just sang. It's the beginning of self-denial. That's why we tell people that they should accept Jesus by, by praying and accepting Jesus. They don't need to actually pray. They just need to surrender their heart. But the prayer is that act that they are doing that expresses that they are indeed dependent upon Christ. The result of prayer is that we enter into the presence of God. Edmund Clowney, a great professor at at, uh, Westminster Seminary, said, God does not merely speak to us. He is present. Prayer is steeped in the awareness, often an awe-filled awareness, of the presence of God. Prayer is not some simple exercise that we do. It's an opportunity to step away from the chaos of the world, from all the busyness of life and everything that encumbers us, and enter into the presence and glory of God himself. For some, knowing God is an experience. For a lot of us Presbyterians, knowing God is an intellectual exercise. And I want to say to you that one without the other is actually meaningless. We must both experience God and know God. If we experience God without knowing God, then how do we know that it's God that we're experiencing? But if we know God without experiencing Him, then we really don't know Him. We we all recognize that there are different levels of knowing. I, I know every player on the Boston Red Sox. just happens to be the way it is. And the, did I say Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots? Sorry about that, Dustin. But that's a lot different than saying, I know my wife. I I know their names. I don't know those guys. I've never met them. But I, I know their names. But I know my wife. You see, the only way we can truly know someone is to spend time with them. And I'm going to exhort us that if we want to see God work around here, in our church, in our lives, then we must get serious about prayer. We have a prayer meeting every Sunday morning at 845. Please come. Join us in prayer. Before we enter into corporate worship, let's enter into corporate prayer. And we'll include corporate worship in our service for those of you who can't make it. We understand. But we get together as a community to pray. Session doesn't know this, but we agreed yesterday, Gracie and I did, but but we're going to ask Session on Tuesday night to get formal approval, so I'm sure it's okay. We're going to do a prayer vigil at the end of the month. Session, do you guys have a problem with this? I don't think so. All right, we're good. (laughs) We want to do a prayer vigil at the end of this month, at the end of uh, March. Tuesday and Wednesday, the 26th and 27th of March, we're going to have a prayer vigil. We're going to open up the sanctuary about 6 a.m., and we're going to close at about 8 p.m., and you can come in and pray. And some of you have a key. If you want to come in another time, just let us know so we can let the guys in the manse know you're going to be here. And we're going to just come in and pray. And we'll have a sign-up sheet. And if three or four people sign up for 9 o'clock, it doesn't matter how many of you want to sign up for one given time. Let's just fill all the times up. And if there's 18 people at 2 o'clock, that's great as well. 
And we're going to put a Bible up here in the front. And you can come in and just pray. Pray for yourselves. Pray for the church. Pray for the community. Pray for the mission or uh, acts of our church. We're going to put a Bible up in the front as well, opening up to the Gospel of Matthew, and we're just going to start reading as well. You can pray. You can read. When you walk in the next hour, wherever, whatever chapter the Bible is open to, just keep reading. And just keep reading. And keep reading. if we get through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, great. We're going to have a prayer service and, uh, coming up for Lent. And I know we announced it a minute ago, and some of you might not know what that means. Lent begins on Ash Wednesday. It's the 40 days, not counting Sundays. It's the 40 days before Easter. So it's actually 46 days because there's six Sundays. The 40 days before Easter where we take time to pray and fast and repent and, and, and do whatever God is calling us to do to give up something during this period of time before the time of the cross and the resurrection. And it ends on Easter Sunday. So Ash Wednesday, as we call it, is a time where we're going to gather together at 6.30 on that Wednesday for a prayer service to, 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 to repent of our sins, to confess our sins and, and to repent. And so come, Wednesday, March 6th. Second thing I want to point out is this. The prayer is often accompanied by fasting. We saw this in Acts 13, the last passage that we read, where they prayed and fasted, and then the Spirit spoke to them, and then they prayed and fasted again. Now again, fasting like prayer is another way of showing that we're dependent upon God. God does not need you to go hungry. God does not need me to pray. He, know, he knows what I think before I even pray. But I need to. Fasting is giving up, generally speaking, food for a period of time. The biblical time of fasting, by the way, was, was very likely the time of Jesus was from sunrise to sunset. It wasn't a 24-hour fast as we typically do. Actually, we do more than a 24-hour fast because we stop eating at like 9 o'clock at night and then don't eat the whole next day until the next morning. We, we fast like 36 hours often, uh, many of us. But fasting is just during the daylight hours. Now, some of you have medical situations and you can't. And that's okay, and God knows that. Or maybe you can fast a little, or, or, or maybe you fast. Sometimes when I'm fasting, I'm like, I'm really hungry right now. This is not going very well. And I'll cheat. I'll, I'll eat fruit because that's like totally not like part of my normal diet. And I'll just say, you know what, today I'm going to fast, but, I'm gonna, but if I want to, I'll have a banana, I'll have an apple, I'll have an orange, I'll have some, just to keep, and just, God knows, he understands. And sometimes if I have to take medicines or whatever, then I, I have a drink or whatever it might be that, that I might need. By the way, fasting, generally speaking, is, is abstaining from food, but not from liquids. It's important to replenish yourself with liquids. And if you want to go on any kind of fast, by the way, see your doctor before you do any type of extended fast. But you can fast from other things as well. You can fast from media. Fast from your phone. Now that's asking a lot. You can fast from television. You can fast from things that, things that take up your time that allow you to devote more time to prayer. Because fasting and prayer go hand in hand. Thirdly, prayer includes listening. Most Christians think of prayer as a time of shooting up the request to God. Okay, I think that's about it. Nice talking with you. Have a good day. Can you imagine going out to coffee with a good friend, sitting down for 20 minutes and spilling all the beans and everything that's going on in your life, saying, hey, thanks so much for getting together. We're done. And never allowing them an opportunity to speak. Listening is a skill. Over time, one learns to hear God's voice. I don't know if you know this, but children actually, if, they are ne if a baby is born and they never hear speech, they never learn to speak. 
Children can only learn to speak by having someone else speak to them. They listen, and then they mimic what they hear. Eugene Peterson says this, Because we learn language so early in our lives, we have no memory of the process, and would therefore imagine that it was we who took the initiative to learn how to speak. However, that is not the case. Language is spoken into us. We learn language only as we are spoken to. We are plunged at birth into a sea of language. Then slowly, syllable by syllable, we acquire the capacity to answer. Mama, Papa, Bottle, Blanket, Yes and No. Not one of these words was a first word. All speech is answering speech. We were all spoken to before we spoke. Tim Keller went on to note that in the years since Peterson wrote these words, studies have shown that children's ability to understand and communicate is profoundly affected by the number of words and the breadth of vocabulary to which they were exposed as infants and toddlers. We speak only to the degree we are spoken to. It is therefore essential, Keller says, to practice the prayer, to practice, to the practice of prayer, excuse me, it is essential to the practice of prayer to recognize the overwhelming presence of God's speech in our prayers. Now, listening implies more than just hearing, by the way. There's a difference between hearing and listening. All parents know what I'm talking about, right? Did you hear me? And they all say, yes. And then 30 minutes later, they just did exactly what we told them not to do or never did what we did. Take out the trash. Did you hear me? Yes. An hour later, no, they didn't. What? You never told me. They heard, but they didn't listen. I've coached sports for many, many years, high school sports and youth sports for 20 years or more. And one of the things I learned early on was this. If I went up to a child or, 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 or one of the kids on the team and, and went up to say, to, to explain something, hey, this is, this is a better way to do it, to field a ground ball this way or field a fly ball this way or whatever it might be. And they say, I know. I, I stop. Because I know means I can't tell you anything more because you're not going to listen. You're not actually interested in hearing what I have to say. You're not coachable in that moment. We must be prepared to listen and not just hear. So how do we learn to hear God's voice? Well, one answer is to simply spend time in the Word. The Scripture is the Word of God. Want to know what God sounds like? We we got a lot of pages. 66 books that tell us what His voice sounds like. Another way to learn to hear God's voice is to spend time in prayer and just spend time listening. And then sometimes you might go, you know, I think I heard God's voice, but I'm not sure. Well, test it. Find out. What did he tell you to do? What did he tell you to not do? Do it or don't do it. And see if God was really behind it. Or go to others. Hey, I think God's calling me to do this. I think I heard God say this. I heard God, what, what do you think about this? Now, some of you say, well, I just don't know how to pray. And my response is simply just do it. Sorry, Nike, I didn't mean to steal your slogan, but just do it. Prayer is just talking to God. 
When you look at the Bible and you see the prayers and the book of Psalms and elsewhere, uh, no, they're just speaking. Oftentimes, David's just speaking his mind. And it's often like, by the way, things are like, oh, I can't ever say that. No way. Where are you, God? How long, O Lord? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Look, a band of evil men have encircled me. My enemies are all around me. Where are you? Yeah, we can pray that. It's in the scriptures. Another way to learn how to pray is just simply read the Bible and then pray what you read. Just pray the scriptures. Make that reading your prayer. Or take what you just read and say, God, help me to learn how to figure out what this means. Or help me to learn how to do this. Or God, I understand that. And, 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 you know, and I don't really want to actually do that over there. Or do that over there. Or stop doing that. Help, help me. The Lord's Prayer, of course. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, Jesus' disciples come up and say, Lord, teach us how to pray. Just as John taught his disciples to pray. And then Jesus gives them the Lord's Prayer. Let me bring it up on the screen and you can say it with me. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now you know how to pray. Just pray the Lord's Prayer. One of the things that I enjoy doing at times is to take the Lord's Prayer and just stop at every line. Our Father who is in heaven. Oh, I'm praying to the God who is in heaven. See, sometimes we just take it like tritely, right? Our Father who is in heaven. No, our Father who is in heaven. You are the one who rules from heaven. Holy. Hallowed means holy. Holy is your name. Not me. You are. You're holy. I'm not. Maybe stop and confess, Lord, I'm not holy. Forgive me for this and for this and for this. And it takes me a while. And this and this and this and this. Yeah, as long as some of you, right? Yeah. I'm holy, you're not. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, I want to do your work, not my work. I want these things. And here's my prayer request today. I want for this, my brother to get a job, my son to find a job, this person to be healed, that person to be well. I want this to be reconciled, but I want your will to be done in the midst of all that. Give me my daily bread. Lord, I've asked for a lot of things, and some of the things I've asked for for like next week and the month. But just give me today my daily bread so I can get through this day now in accordance with the will of, your, of yours, in accordance with the work of your kingdom. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our, our debtors. Father, forgive me and help me to forgive that person and that person and that person as you've forgiven me. And just stop in each one of those sentences and pause and meditate and spend some time on it. And don't lead us into temptation. I'm doing a really good job of that all by myself. But deliver me from the evil. I think it should be translated as the evil one, but either way. Because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We pray because God is the one who is moving. The power of our praying is not in the one who is praying, but in the one to whom we are praying. Now, let's also note this. We all have different gifts, and we all have different personalities. And I'm not suggesting that we all have the gifts of prayer and that we all pray equally. Some of you are dynamic 
prayer warriors. That's a gift. It's a passion. It's, it's something you're called to, and very likely it's something you enjoy. I would imagine it's something that you, you thrive in. Great. The rest of us should be still prayers and praying regularly. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians to pray without ceasing, to have our life be an attitude of prayer, that our conduct and our speech that all that we do and our actions and the way we handle ourselves is as if we are always in an act of praying. So here's my challenge. Spend the next three weeks devoting yourself to prayer. For the next three weeks, pray at least three times a day the Lord's Prayer. Don't just pray to pray it, but meditate on it. Maybe it'll take you three to five minutes three times a day, morning, Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Breakfast, snack, and whatever. However your lunch, your, your diet works, so be it. Meditate on it. And see at the end of those three weeks if the Lord doesn't make himself known to you in a deeper way. And don't be afraid of an experience. Experience without knowledge is meaningless, but knowledge without experience is also meaningless. Maybe prayer can be your commitment for Lent as well. So starting on March 6th, for 40 days, you're going to devote yourself even more intently to prayer. For the rest of you, just take the next three weeks. Prayer is a time when we can encounter God. And as a result, we can be transformed in the midst of it. It's okay to lift up all your requests to God and throw them. He knows that and He gets it and He understands. That's an important component of prayer. But stop and make sure you listen as well. Let's pray. Oh, God, you are a mighty and awesome God, and we don't understand your holiness and how and why you, you come down to us except because you are a God of love and a God of mercy. And Father, some of us may have heard Rick's testimony this morning. It may, have, may even be in the same spot that Rick was many years ago. And may right now at this moment need to say, Father, I'm done running. I'm going to come before you. Take my life. Change it and transform it. And may that be the prayer of our hearts and of their hearts. And may they seek out someone else in this congregation or community later on so they can share that with them, that we can begin the process of growing as disciples of Jesus Christ. Lord, coming to faith in Jesus is that simple. It's free. It's, there's nothing, no strings attached. It's just simply a way of saying, I'm done running after all the things that life has. And Lord, we pray for all of us that you'll help us to be God, to be people of prayer, men and women who pray without ceasing, and that we'll then listen and we'll hear your voice and we'll be transformed by what we hear. And then, Lord, give us the faith to obey because sometimes I think we're afraid, I know I am, of what you're going to say. So give us the faith to obey. Bless us as a congregation, as a community, that we might be a light to the valley, to, to this city and to the, the neighborhood around us and those in our own neighborhoods and our workplaces and our schools. Help us to hear your voice, Lord, and not to be afraid.
In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.